The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are here the day after, the morning after. It's like 12 hours after the Astros won the World Series. Their players are probably still celebrating. The fans are probably still drunk. And uh, what, what do you, I don't know. I don't know what you want to say about that. Congrats to the Astros. Congrats to Dusty Baker. I am, I am legitimately happy for Dusty. I'm happy for for everybody involved. Um, I kind of like the villain story, to be honest with you, and it's got a lot of Yankee fans and their feelings about spoken it. Spoken like a true Boston fan. No, honestly, spoken like a true Patriots fan. Um, I, like I, I think what the Astros did is way more egregious than anything the Patriots have ever been accused of. But I can really empathize with the like. Hold on a second. Now the pendulum swinging way further in the other direction. You think a a couple of psi in a football was the difference between you know, six Super Bowls and and none or, or whatever crazy statements people make. And I like I said, I think what the Astros did was was definitely worse and, and more impactful. But like that was still an amazing team. And I feel like the pendulum yeah. swung so far in the other direction where you just took all credit away from them. And they're just cheaters and, and they're clearly awesome. Uh, and and yeah. only what four players are still on the team from the 2017. They're four very important players, but right. Bre- Bregman, I'm, I'm happy to who else is it? Yep. Bregman, Altuve, uh, Verlander, and Guriel. Yeah, yeah. And Verlander obviously wasn't impacted by it. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those situations where, like, there's some other guys on that team. Like, as a Cleveland fan, I am very happy for Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley is just—he's a quality dude. He's—he was a huge part of some really good Cleveland teams. I've always been a fan of the guy. Like, I'm—I'm I'm happy for him. I—I I think we're we're in a situation where. You know, if as a Astros fan or player or whatever, you're frustrated with the reaction to your team, it's it's Major League Baseball's fault because oh yeah, they they released this report and they made it a whole deal and they, they made it very clear that what the Astros did was horrendous and unforgivable and they can't believe they did this and blah blah, blah. They, like this. The way Major League Baseball talked about it and then taking away draft picks and all the other stuff they did, and then the players didn't get punished at all. And the problem with that is for most fans, the players are the team. That's it, right? Like, yeah, the manager got suspended and yeah, they had to change out their GM and they lost some money and blah, blah, blah. Like none of that matters to the average fan. What matters to the average fan is that Jose Altuve cheated 
and now he's still playing and nobody's done anything about it. And I actually think the reaction of this team would be super different if Altuve and Bregman and Springer and like the other stars of that 2017 team had sat out 50 games. Right? They've been yeah. like, this is basically a PED suspension. You're out, whatever that, you know, whatever we d- determine it is. It would have completely wrecked that team for one season, right? Because they would have missed all the, like it would have like 20, whatever year that was would have been a disaster for them. But I think you'd have far more fans willing to be like, all right, they did it. They paid for it. I've moved on. Instead, nobody can move on because they feel like, I think there's a lot of fans who feel like it's their responsibility to punish these guys because Major League Baseball never did. Yeah, I think you're, you're right in blaming Major League Baseball. I also think the players, like they, especially Bregman and Correa in particular, really didn't do a great job of, uh, they didn't do a job period of showing any kind of remorse. Right. And so that much, like I'm fine with, like you want to be upset with them for that. That's fine. I, I think the way that f- sports fans in general typically are like, even if they got suspended, I think they're still complaining about it. I think they're That's still up true. in arms. I think they're still calling them. Like, I, I don't think that really would have changed much, but there definitely would have been more accountability. Um, at, at least the, the, the commissioner's office could have made the players more accountable for sure. But I, I don't think it really would have changed that much. At the end of the day, that team is loaded. They're awesome. They deserve yeah. credit for this World Series, and and that's it. So people can be upset. They cheated four years ago, five years ago now, but uh, doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah, and I think I mean from a from a team building standpoint, I think you know you look and it's like they were willing to let George Springer walk. They weren't. They were willing to let Carlos Correa walk. They replaced those guys and have just Garrett kept Cole. going. They let Garrett yep. Cole walk. They they are just you know. They're right now. They are just an incredibly well-run organization that is churning out talent, and it's it's impressive. So, congrats to the Astros. Congrats to the Astros fans. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it, despite any <laughs> negative reaction you oh, might I'm be getting sure from the rest are. of the world. <laughs> maybe maybe they're enjoying it more because of the negative reaction from the rest of the world. Well, I can tell you who's definitely enjoying it. That Mattress Mac guy is definitely enjoying it. Oh, my God. Did you see that? No. He won the mattress biggest. Mac? So he's like this guy and he's he's this dude who sells mattresses, but he's loaded. Um, and he made so many bets on the Astros that he collected the single most winnings in American sports betting history. He won $75 million last night. I can't believe Whoa. you haven't heard of this guy. Like, I can't escape him on social media. Like, everything is That's Mattress crazy. Mac, but... Yeah, yeah. Good for him. Sure. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Anyways, we are not here to talk Astros baseball. We are here to talk fantasy baseball, and it's keeper season. You know, last last week, two weeks ago, I guess, we're doing this every other week in the offseason. Two weeks ago, we talked about auto new arbitration. We will come back to that because it's still wrapping up. But it's time for keeper decisions to start if not happening, at least being thought about, right? I think in most of my leagues, it's not that you have to make your decisions now, but you have to start to figure out who do I want to keep? Who do I think I want to keep? What trades might I want to make? And that requires knowing who your keepers are. And we're starting to get some data in to help us make those decisions. And so what Pete and I have done is we've taken three data points to start to look at who are some of the, the most interesting keepers that are out there. And those three data points are 2022 NFBC ADP. We looked at ADP just from March through the start of the season. 2023 NFBC ADP, 
which we looked at just uh, October through now, basically through the end of the season through now. And then there is the pitcher list mock draft. Uh, Nick always organizes this very early pitcher list mock. Pete, you participated this year. Um, and so we, we took the, the picks from that as well. And really what we're looking at here is comparing that draft to 2022 ADP and saying who's moved up the most, right? Because in most keeper leagues, that's what determines who your best keepers are. Those are the guys whose price has gone up the most and therefore it is the most valuable to hold on to them. And there's some, there's a lot of interesting names here. And I think Pete, I think the place to start is I, I, I sort of called this our, our honorable mention group. And the reason these guys are honorable mentions is none of them had an ADP last year. They are all going inside the top 350 of ADP this year. They all got drafted in the pitcher list mock, which means they went in the top 276 or 296. I don't know, 23 rounds, 12 picks. Or 23 rounds, yeah, 23 rounds. Tw- was it 12 picks? Yeah, it's 12 picks. Um, so they all went in that draft. Some of these guys, I think, are pretty clear keepers, and some of them less so. Let's Let's start with the two guys at the top who I think are pretty clear keepers. Gunnar Henderson had not been drafted last year. His ADP and NFBC so far this year is 97. He went 74th in the pitcherless mock. And then Vaughn Grissom also not drafted last year. 181 is his ADP right now. He went 156 in the pitcherless mock. Any thoughts on those guys? Like what? No surprises yeah, yeah. really that they jumped that much. Definitely no surprise. I think the the ADP for Henderson and how high he went in the pitcherless mock draft, I think it's worth mentioning that like as thin as third base was last year going into draft season, it looks worse this year going into draft season. Third base is not a pretty position. Second base is definitively worse, but third base um, is, is obviously pretty bad. And Gunnar Henderson is going to have third base eligibility, I believe, regardless of your your format. I, I don't remember how many starts he made there, but I know it was enough to qualify at ESPN, which is at least 15. Um, and, and the tools, like, he showed everything. The sprint speed is is 91st percentile. He had a, a barrel percentage of about 10%, which is, you know, pretty much where you want to see it for a rising star. Average exit velocity over 92 miles per hour. I mean, this kid really in a short stint kind of did everything. Um, and when you factor in the third base eligibility, it's no surprise that it's that high. So am I surprised? No, obviously he's being kept pretty much in all of your keeper leagues. Um, but if the ADP still kind of jumped out, you're like, whoa, I expected it to be high, but that high for so few plate appearances, it, it, it totally adds up. There's 132 plate appearances, but it totally adds up when you consider the tools and the position. So if you want to look at, at the third baseman now on the clicky draft draft board, He's listed as a second baseman, which is sort of annoying and makes it hard to figure out exactly where he is. But here are the third baseman who went before him. And then I'll go through a few who went after him. So starting from the top of the draft, Jose Ramirez went first overall. The next third baseman to go, there was a, a trio of them in the second round. Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, Austin Riley, Nolan Arenado went in the third. Doesn't look like there were any third baseman in the fourth. And then in the fifth, you had Alex Bregman. Tommy Edmond, and then Henderson is the next third base eligible to go. So Ramirez, Devers, Machado, Riley, Arenado, Edmond, Bregman. Now after him, it there is not another third baseman taken. So he went in the seventh round. There is not another third baseman taken until the second half of the ninth round. And that's Max Muncy. 
And then you had Matt Chapman the round after that. And then you go a couple rounds, few rounds later before you get to Eugenio Suarez. Cabrian Hayes goes in the 16th. Josh Young in the 17th. I, and when I look at that, I mean, I don't know that I have any issue with him going in that spot among third basemen, especially given, I think in most formats, he's going to be third base and shortstop. I know they've listed him in, on Clicky Draft as second, but that something seems wrong about that. I'm going to see if I can yeah, validate. Yeah, no, he's, definitely, he's definitely not going to have second. Um, someone that might be missing just because it's Clicky Draft, Bobby Witt Jr. Um, should have third base eligibility. He was a, he was another first-round guy. I uh, got um, it, yeah. While you're, you're looking that up, um, there might be a couple more. Like Wander Franco um, might be listed as something. It might be listed as a shortstop, but he'll have third base. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's worth pointing out, we forgot to mention this, that the NFBC ADPs are for rotisserie leagues. And some of those are like drafts and hold, draft and holds and stuff like that, where like if you don't get it, you're not going to have it throughout the season. And what, why I bring that up is for two categories in particular, stolen bases and saves. Um, and so I think you're going to see a lot of that pushed up in NFBC, whereas the pitcherless mock draft was for head-to-head leagues where I mean, Chad, I've been pretty transparent about this all along. I said it going into our fan tracks league two, which was a head to head league that you do not need to prioritize those categories. And I bring that up because I think there's a real conversation to be had in rotisserie between Bregman and Henderson. So you mentioned that Bregman went and then the next one to go was Henderson because it's a head to head league. I just give me the the guaranteed, you know, runs, homers, RBI that Bregman's going to give me. But if it's rotisserie and I think Henderson could chip in 20 steals and contribute across the board. I could totally understand taking him over Alex Bregman. Bregman, uh, Bregman actually went, Tommy Edmund went in between them. So Bregman was the that's a, fifth that's, pick of the like fifth that. round. Then Edmund went in the 11th pick of the fifth round. And then Henderson didn't go to the seventh round. So I think that the reason I bring up those rounds is like, if that's the price difference, then Henderson becomes even more appealing, right? He's two rounds later. Now, in NFBC, Bregman's ADP is 90.67 right now. Gunner is going 99.58. So they're, they're less than a round apart there. And that's mm-hmm. much closer. I think the more interesting debate with Henderson, and the, the, the reality is from a keeper perspective, this doesn't matter. And so maybe we don't need to spend too much time on this. But if he's going inside the top 100 and someone like Eugenio Suarez is going outside the top 150, Jose Miranda is going outside the top 160. Um, there are some guys going later that I think from a price standpoint might be more interesting. But from a keeper perspective, that is neither here nor there. Because whatever price you paid for Gunner last year, you are probably very happily keeping him this year. The other guy we just want to talk about here was, was Von Grissom. Grissom is... I, I am super interested to see what Atlanta does this offseason <laughs> because Sw- Dansby Swanson's a free agent. Grissom could slot in as their shortstop. If he doesn't slot in as their shortstop, he probably doesn't get second base because Albies will should be back and healthy. So they they maybe they make him an outfielder, but like I I don't know. I this price on him and, and I I do think this matters for keeper prices as well. Because this is a relatively high price on him. Um, sorry, it's not a high price on him. It's a relatively high draft cost, but it's not so high that it's like, oh, if you don't keep him, you're, you know, he's going pick 181 on, on his ADP. He's going, went pick 156. It's not like he's, you know, a fourth rounder or something like that. But there's a real chance he doesn't have a 
a role next year, right? I mean, he didn't play a single game in the outfield. He was all at uh, shortstop and second base, as well as a handful of games at DH for them this year. And if they re-sign Swanson, I don't know where he plays. Yeah, I I would be shocked at this point if Swanson re-signs with them. I, I hate to buy into stuff like this, and I don't think I really do, but apparently Swanson removed all Braves stuff from his Instagram, unfollowed them, and apparently the Braves took Swanson off all their promotional stuff, um, which maybe means absolutely nothing. That could be at the agent's direction. Who, who knows? But this is a team that like really hasn't paid anybody <laughs> market yeah. value, and Dansby Swanson's hitting free agency at the most perfect time you could possibly you know we talked about this the shifts disappearing but Dansby Swanson has a great glove I actually heard on rates and barrels that out of 50 shortstops he has the 48th worst um velocity to first base on throws to first base I didn't know that so maybe he's not going to stick around at shortstop long term obviously limits his range but he is great when he can get to the ball so um I, I think he's going to sign for a monster contract somewhere and I think the plan all along has been to put Grissom over at shortstop um, I, they called him up, obviously, uh, right in the middle of the season, which was surprising to people straight from double A. I don't think they do yeah. that if they don't have long term plans for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they do have long term plans for him. I just think the fact that he made that jump straight from double A is part of adding to this. Like, I don't know if they're ready to let Swanson go. We'll have to see. Like, my take on this is as someone who, you know, I used to work in sports marketing, it doesn't make me an expert by any means, but my take on all this, like, removing them from social media like it's it's posturing and you have to do it right because if you're swanson and you don't do that kind of thing or if you're atlanta and you don't remove them from your promotional materials that factors into negotiations right what comes up in negotiations is like even if it isn't direct in negotiations it's not like they're gonna sit in the room and be like well you you're still following us on instagram so you obviously don't want to leave but they're definitely it's definitely sending a signal right and so i think like it should be like that should be a a immediate thing that every team and every player does is you're gone you're gone we're cutting all ties publicly because we need to be in the right negotiating space and you know my guess is like Atlanta if if I'm in Atlanta's shoes I'm removing him from all of our marketing stuff but in negotiations with him I'm like this is what this marketing stuff looks like when you resign, because we're going to pull you right back in. Where you're one of the faces of the franchise, like you know, you've got that, but you want that in your back pocket, but you don't want it out there. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think that really means a lot. I think teams should just be doing that. But I, I just uh, I, he yeah he was one of two players that played 162 games, and he had the 11th highest WAR in baseball. And like. Just looking at that, like forgetting about all the other stuff, just looking at those two facts, 162 games, shifts going away, which I guess is a third fact, and, and 11th highest war in baseball. This dude is about to get paid. And I, the Braves have shown me nothing not them. that they're going to do that. Yeah. Well, we will see. The other, the other angle on that is that because they haven't done it for anyone else, they've got the money to do it for him. So I don't know. Is he the guy you do it with, though? I, like... I, I mean, I think you can make a case that is a like top, you know, let, let's even forget the 11th highest war in baseball, top 20-ish player in value in baseball when like you've already got the other half of your middle infield locked up. You've already got your third base spot locked up. You've already got first base locked up. You've already got your most important outfielders locked up. Like where else are they going to spend it? 
They, there's like they, they don't have other needs. So like if he no, if they really believe in Grissom, then maybe they are fine letting him walk. And I, I think like it's a little bit like what we saw with Houston and, and Correa and Pena, right? The, the difference with Correa and Pena versus Swanson and Grissom is that I think as fans, because we've seen Grissom, we have this like, oh, we've seen him and he's good and we know he's good. And therefore we're confident that Atlanta is going to let him walk. Whereas with Correa, there was a lot of like, well, Houston's going to do something. They're not just going to stick with this Pena kid, right? Because it seemed like, you know, we didn't know enough, we didn't know enough about him. And I, so there is some, there, there's some, you know, precedent there, I guess, for another organization. I just, I, I, I feel like Grissom's price right now is a, what do I, what would I pay for a guy who got off to a hot start in limited time straight from double A who has an opening day job? And it's not factoring in the risk that he's on the bench or in triple A to start the season. And I think that's a real risk. So to me, it's just the, the price in drafts is too high. I don't think it impacts my, my thoughts on him as a keeper, except for potential trade value. He is a guy, if I had him on a team, I, I might be looking to shop him, not because I think he's bad or because he's not going to play or something like that, but because I think that right now you can get a price for him that is not factoring in some of the risk. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. And I think even if even if Dansby Swanson signs somewhere else, I don't think I don't know if I'm ready to pay that price for Vaughn Grissom. So like that in a vacuum is is the reality for me. I'm not. Like all other things aside, I'm not ready to pay that much for Von Grissom. But if I had him and right. somebody was interested in paying that price, I'd gladly trade him. Yeah, makes sense. So one other guy from that list who wasn't drafted last year jumped into the top 200 of the pitcherless mock and the top 150 of 2023 ADP. And that is Reds reliever Alexis Diaz, younger brother of Edwin. And uh, I, this one sort of surprises me because... I am a big fan of Diaz. I think he could be an excellent closer. I just, I don't know. Like that price feels like a, not necessarily an established closer price, but it doesn't feel like a, this guy might not even have a job (laughs) as a closer price. And, And I think like that's, that's where he is, right? Like we don't know that he's their closer, do we? Um, I think if the season started right now, I I'd feel pretty confident he's going to be their closer. I just, I don't know. It's this weird pushing up of, of closers and drafts. And like, again, I, I'd get it in a draft and hold or something like that. And certainly in a deep fab Roto league, like, yes, you, you got to get your closers, but I, there's got to be somebody at 140 that's going to give me a better shot at winning than, than taking Alexis Diaz there. Um, so like that, I, I'm not interested in, in him at that price. So let me let me throw another name at you because I think this is and, and again I think we should note that from a keeper standpoint, you don't have to pay that super high price on him, right? Sure. You, you can get him for whatever you paid for him last year, which is I mean, it, it is what you paid for him was a free agent pickup. So whatever your lowest cost keeper is, that's what he's gonna be. That's great. But again, in terms of trading him, you'd have the option to trade him. That's it. There is a pitcher. In going about 20 picks later, it looks like. Uh, yeah, 17, 18 picks later, who 
is not, I don't think, as good as Diaz. He doesn't strike out as many guys. Has a similar problem that Diaz has. Diaz had some walk issues last year. This guy does too. But this guy was a closer on opening day last year, was a closer when the season ended this year, and I don't see any reason to think he won't be a closer this year. That's Gregory Soto. And I, I don't know. I like To me, I look at this and it's like, we're really, like, we have no idea. Like, the Reds' bullpen has been a mess. It is a mess. They could easily go out and sign someone. They could easily not sign someone and decide he's not their closer. Like, I, Lucas Sims could come back and be their closer. So I, I just, this is another case where I think, like Grissom, I would, I'm keeping him. If I have him on a team, I'm going to keep him. I, I guess I should say, Assuming it's not like a three keeper league, right? If you're got going deeper than that, he's he is worth keeping because the cost is going to be so low to keep him. But if somebody out there wants to pay me in a trade, like he is a you know sure thing top half of baseball closer, yeah, you can pay for him. I'll I'll trade him easily. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat, and and especially when it comes to Soto, if like he's unexciting, he has walk issues, like you said, and he's he's not going to necessarily win you your league. But look at him over the last two seasons. Detroit's not going to turn to somebody else as easily as Cincinnati could turning to somebody else when it comes to Diaz. And, and you brought up Lucas Sims, and I think that's a, a pretty good option. Or just signing somebody they've shown in the past, like you said, they would sign somebody, keep them for a couple of months, and trade them away. But Soto over the last two seasons, 48 saves four blown saves like they're they're not gonna that that's yeah. safe saves to me um not in terms of ratios but in terms of if if that's what everybody's so desperate for is getting this one category well soto i think is a better option than diaz so i'm with you on that so let's there are a few other guys who weren't drafted last year these guys all are going outside the top 200 in the pitcherless mock or and outside the top 200 in most cases outside the top 300 in adp right now and those guys are Evan Phillips, Joey Manessis, Jimmy Herget, and Brian Bayo. And I'm mentioning these guys just because we're looking at the biggest gaps between last year's value and this year's value. And they they sort of, by default, qualify for that. I don't know that any of these guys are necessary keepers, we'll say. And I'd be curious that you're taking this. And I, you know, I'll, I will qualify that by saying, like, in an auto new league, you have, you have one of these guys for a, for a buck or $3 now, let's say. They're all probably worth keeping in that format at that price. Fine. Um, in a, you know, we are limited to eight keepers, seven keepers, 10 keepers, something like that. These are all guys to me that like they're end game guys. You could pick up anyways. I don't, I don't feel the need to pay a price to keep any of them. I don't know. Do you, do you feel differently about Phillips, Manessis, Herget, or Bayo? Uh, just about Phillips because it would depend on when my keeper lock date is. Look, I fully expect the Dodgers to go out and sign like Edwin Diaz or something because that's what the Dodgers do. But if somehow Evan Phillips, who's awesome, by the way, ends yeah. up, it's like, yes, the Dodgers going to go forward with Evan Phillips as their closer. Well, <laughs> whoa, because all of a sudden he he's not, you know, a guy whose ADP is outside the top 200. We're talking, you know, in the top 120, maybe. Does that sound about right? If you were guaranteed that Evan Phillips was going to be the closer of the Los Angeles Dodgers next year, um, yeah. I, I think he's pretty safely in the top 120. So if my keeper locked it, if I can wait um, and I get that news, then he's the only one that I would consider. But otherwise, you're right. I mean, you can get these guys towards the end of drafts anyway. Uh, I guess the one that could 
Like if Jimmy Herget gets guaranteed a job, I guess he moves up. But Manessis and Deo yeah. are going to be going where they're going. There's not a lot of value to be at. I mean, there could be value to be had there. But I, I, there's got to be someone else in your team you'd rather keep. Yeah. And, and while the Angels are not the Dodgers, the Angels resting on their their existing pen and just accepting Herget as their closer seems unlikely. I just yeah. think they're all like they they will also probably be in play for Edwin Diaz, right? Sure. Like, no, will I will they outbid the Dodgers? I don't know. They might. They they've certainly shown a, a, a willingness to do that. So they love we'll making bad decisions. So no, that's true. It's a hobby of theirs. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> it is. It does seem to be. Um, and I will say, like the the guy who's going the earliest of that group in ADP is Joey Manessis. His ADP is two twenty three. That is a high enough ADP where if you don't keep him, you may just miss out on him. I'm willing to take that risk with Manessis. I just, I get real. Um, oh my God. That guy not, killed me. Guy's name. Schwindel, Frank Schwindel vibes. Yeah, right. That's a good and, call. <laughs> and that's, it's not a, it's not necessarily fair to Manessis to be like, Oh, the last guy who was like 30 years old and broke out, you know, after a trade deadline where everybody was sent away, fell apart the next year. <clears throat> but, I remember spending a good chunk of last, I'm like losing my voice here. I remember spending a good chunk of the last half of last year and a lot of the off season with people being like, and I was one of them, by the way, you look into Schwindel and it's like, man, his minor league numbers are not bad. There's reason to believe he could be good. Yeah. And I think sometimes we need to remember that like, like there's a tendency as fans and as fantasy players, I think sometimes to be like, yeah, Manessis is 30, but like he's had some good season in the minors. And the fact that he never got a shot really says more about how bad the Nationals are. Or actually, it wasn't even the Nationals because like, he was Boston before that. He was with Philadelphia before that. It's like, but how bad these teams are at evaluating talent. They just never knew what they had. Like, that's possible. It's also possible that those teams are all smarter than me <laughs> and that they, they recognize that calling him up didn't really make sense. And the fact that he, got hot for, you know, 240 plate appearances, 240 plate appearances, by the way, with a 371 Bapit, right? Like, I just think we need to like pump the brakes a bit on some of these 30 year old breakouts. And, and Schwindel is the cautionary tale. That's like, look, if I miss out on Manessis and I'm wrong, so be it. But I'm, I'm willing to take that bet. Yeah. Oh, it's the same. I'm not, I'm not like use it. Sometimes we think, as long as like the keeper price isn't expensive, it's not you can just take the risk and keep the player. But if that player completely flops and you could have just had like a really good player for a fifth round pick, like you kind of messed up. It's not a zero risk game. So I'm with you on Manessis. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is it's it's not that like if you've got a bunch of keepers, and you've got room to keep Manessis. Fine. But sure. if you're choosing Manessis over some of the other guys we're about to talk about, that could really mm-hmm. hurt. So let's. uh. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll start to take a look at some players who were being drafted last year and are being drafted even higher this year. All right, welcome back. Chad Young, Pete Ball, the Keeper Cup podcast. We were just discussing keeper values of players, and we were, we were focused primarily so far on players who basically were undrafted last year and therefore are nice and cheap this year. There are some guys, though, who were being drafted last year who have still made pretty sizable jumps in their ADP. And so now we're looking at guys who these guys were all drafted within the top 300 last year. And these guys have all moved up at least 150 picks this year. 
from where they were last year to where they are this year. There's eight players who fit that bill. And I, I don't think there's any huge surprises here in terms of, you know, keeper value, but let's, let's at least mention these names. We can decide how much detail we want to go into any of them. Uh, we'll start with the pitchers because there are three pitchers on this list. So first one in terms of the largest jump was Christian Javier. He jumped 210 picks from a 297 ADP last year to pick 87 in the pitcher list mock. Nestor Cortez jumped 206 from 20 from 299 in the pitch in uh, ADP last year to 93 in the pitcher list mock. And Tony Gonsolin went from 271 last year to 121 in the pitcher list mock. It's a 150 spot jump. They all jumped similar amounts. Their ADPs are not super different from that, except for Gonsolin, whose ADP is only 162 after going 121 in the pitcher list mock. I mean, I don't know if there's a ton to say here, except that, you know, Javier, the big question with him, I guess, is like, will he be a 30 start starter? I guess is maybe a question, maybe, but I mean, other than that, these guys are, they're good pitchers and you should, you should keep them. Yeah. There's not much more to be said. I think out of the names, it is worth pointing out the one that we like the most and it is Christian Javier. So it kind of adds up with the ADP, at least for me, uh, and I, I think he's going to also receive a boost because he was kind of just nails throughout the playoffs as well, all the way to a World Series. And as much as we want to try to ignore that because of the sample size, it's hard to. Um, he On the biggest stages, he was absolutely awesome. Uh, maybe I can get your thoughts on a combined no-hitter some other time. That's besides the point. Um, but Christian Javier, uh, I'm I'm willing to actually pay that price. And so as a keeper, and, and this is actually where I think it re- this relates to arbitration. This episode relates to new arbitration pretty well. We're like, this is where you should be putting your dollars. And I, I hesitate yeah. to say that because I'm the guy who has Christian Javier and, and in the keeper cut new league, uh, he, he was one of the most boosted players um, in arbitration so far. But like, this is a, this is a great exercise to go through. If you're like, who should I be putting my dollars on? Well, look at these ADPs, look at these early results. Um, that should give you some insight because Gonzalez, Javier and Cortez definitely kind of fit that bill of, uh, jack up those prices. Yeah, for sure. They, they, and those guys, I mean, I, I don't think there's a ton more to say. They were all super impressive. I, I see no reason to think they won't be again. I'm, I'm I'm in on those guys. I think from a from an arbitration perspective, I tend to be a little bit more conservative, I guess I would say, in terms of how confident I am in long-term value from any breakout player. And so this matters a little less for Javier and maybe Gonsolin, because Gonsolin, we've seen this a little bit before, and Javier has sort of flashed this talent for a long time, just this was his first real shot to show it. Cortez, though... I'm going to put arbitration dollars on Cortez. I'm just much more likely to be content to push him to like $12, $13, rather than feeling the need to push him to 20. Because I think there's of those three, he's the most likely to me to take a step back next year. I'm not betting on him taking that step back. I just think he's the most likely. And so I'm more comfortable. And like, if he doesn't take a step back and he's great again, fine. Then we'll push him to $30 in arbitration next year. We don't need to do it all at once. Okay, so I, I think I misheard you. So you're saying that of those guys, Cortez is the least likely to put you would put dollars on. Yeah, it's not that I and I wouldn't even say the least likely to put dollars on. It's just like it, you know, let's assume that I'm in a league where teams have Javier, Cortez, and Gonsolin all at like five bucks. Right. There's probably a league out there where those guys are all five dollars. Makes sense. I would happily push Christian Javier to twenty bucks. 
I would happily do the same to Gonsolin. Cortez, I'm more content. It's not that I wouldn't put dollars on him. I just might only put $1 on him. I might only, like if the rest of the league pushes a bunch of money and he's pushing 20 bucks, then I might not put money on him and go somewhere else. Just because I think of the three, like my, my philosophy, and we talked about this last week, my philosophy in arbitration has always been like, try to make those dollars stick as long-term as possible. I am more confident in a Christian Javier at $20 being kept long-term than I am in Nestor Cortez at that same price. And so because that of that- sense. Right. And then, like I said, if next year Cortez is awesome again, then I'll push him even more. And then he, you know, and either way, he could be 30, 35 bucks by the end of next season if we want him to. So I just don't see the, I don't have like a great desire to push him all the way up that high this year because I can do it next year if I need to. I'm with you on that one. So those guys, the pitchers, there are five more players that made this jump from out, from just inside the top or from, sorry, that, from within the top 300 who made the largest jumps, 150 pick jumps. Three of them, there's a couple of rookies. We'll come back to the rookies. They're not rookies this year. They were rookies last year. But three of them are guys who are not rookies, who just had breakout campaigns, who boosted their value. And I, I'm curious for your take on all three of these. Andres Jimenez, Nathaniel Lowe, Anthony Santander, they went from Jimenez was 268 last year. He went to number 90 in the pitcherless mock. 92 is his ADP. Low was 243 last year. His ADP is 99. He went 66th in the pitcherless mock. And then Santander, 296 last year, went 134 in the pitcherless mock. 136 is his ADP. Uh, so low, low is the one who the pitcherless mock really pushed up the most. The other guys that are right around their ADP. Any thoughts on those three? Uh, so it's, it's hard because I I do like all three. I don't think I like all three as much as the general public does. So I don't think I'll end up with a lot of them. I think the one I want to like the most is Andres Jimenez, right? I think uh, Nate Lowe had the best season out of those three guys, but Jimenez just 24 years old. He plays a premium position and the sprint speed, 94th percentile. So he's going to give you that speed. I just, I don't see... This was, this was brought to my attention by another episode, actually, of Rates and Barrels. Um, and I, I don't know if there's a lot of room for Jimenez to get better. He's already pulling the ball about as much as he could. Um, he cut down on the strikeout rate a lot, even though his chase rate is still really bad. So, like, I don't... Where does the improvement come from unless it's just, like, natural growth? And, like, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a very good player the rest of his career, but we don't get another near 2020 batting 300 season with an OPS over 830. It kind of feels like even at 24 years old, I hate saying this guy never talk like this, but it feels like at 24 years old, he made this like maybe his peak season. Um, and so if I'm, if it, it's a steep cost, which it's not, then I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to pay it. Obviously given his cost in most formats, all three of these guys, I have a lot of interest in keeping them. Yeah, I mean, for for keeper, I don't think there's any question that that you know, I'm not worried about his price <laughs> as a keeper because he's he's worth it. From a a draft standpoint, you know, looking at the guys, looking at second base, um, ADP for NFBC right now, Turner is the highest second base eligible player. Albies, Simeon. Altuve, those guys are all going in the top 50. Then you got Jazz Chisholm Jr. going just outside the top 50. Trevor Story just inside the top 70. Tommy Edmond at 85th. 
Then you have Jimenez at 91. Then you get Glaber Torres, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, Javier Baez, Jonathan India, Ty France. Like to me, there's a there's a pretty significant cliff. And and I, I you could I think you could make a case Torres and Polanco and Lau like are you know I, I don't I don't know. They're they're uh they're in a weird spot, sort of, you know. Lau could be great again. And he's actually like going at pick 150. I think he might be a steal. I'm gonna have him in a lot of spots. Yeah. But, you know, I, I could see a case that like you really want to have one of those top eight second basemen. Um, again, Turner, Albi, Simeon, Altuve, Chisholm, Story, Edmund, Jimenez. And Jimenez being the cheapest of those guys, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's right. I mean, I think Story's going to have a bounce back year, but you're betting on a bounce back year. I think ch- like Chisholm, I think there's a lot of like, oh, he was so great at the start of the year. He really fell off before he got hurt. Now he came back, he started to bounce back up again, but like there's some, there's still his risk in that Chisholm profile and we still haven't seen a full season of him. So I, I don't, I don't hate that price on Jimenez. I think it's actually a pretty fair price. And, and as a keeper, it makes him, it makes him a no brainer. I do think in general, we're way too quick to assume that like this guy's only 23. So like, think about how bright his future is. Like, I don't think it's a, like, I, I Guys peak early sometimes, right. and, and sometimes they don't peak in terms of their talent necessarily. But your your true talent and your results in the field do not only don't always match, right? So like, you know, Jimenez could absolutely be a case where like his true talent is only eighty percent as much as what he did this year, and he got he got lucky and things broke the right way, and so he put up this season, and his true talent continues to improve while his results never get that high again. Like that that is a a real possibility. So I'm, I'm with you on Jimenez. I tend to try to think that way with most guys, unless I see a very clear, like, you know, this guy was clearly playing through an injury or there's an obvious opportunity to improve by pulling the ball more, or his strikeout rate is way high compared to the rest of his plate discipline. And I think a strike, like unless I can see very clearly where that improvement is going to come from, I don't tend to think that a an incredible season by a you know less than twenty five year old player is just like oh we're just seeing the start here because I just don't think that's the case. I think often like it, it, even in the best cases you got like you know Trout how great he was right out of the bat and people are like imagine what he's gonna be like in his prime. It's like I don't have to. He's in his prime. This is it. <laughs> he's right. he's already there, and, and and that's basically what we've seen from him is like. Yeah, there's been some fluctuation there, but his career has been more plateau than it has been. And and by the way, calling Trout's career a plateau is not a criticism. I want to be very, very clear. Plateau. It's a bubble right. cloud. Exactly. So my, my point is just that like, I, I think we like to think that every player, you know, has this upward climb until they reach their peak and then they have a couple years at peak and then they fall. Like, that's just not what every player's career looks like. And I think that's a good reminder as we move to the next two guys who jumped at least 150 picks from within the top 300, these guys were both rookies. They jumped pretty far, both of them. Uh, and, and they are both, I think good examples of guys where I imagine there are people out there right now thinking like, Oh man, just wait till they mature and get better. And I don't think it's a fair assumption on either of them, but it doesn't have to be. And that's Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez. Adley going pick 227 last year. His pick in the pitcher list mock was 69th. He was 70 in ADP for NFBC right now. 
Julio Rodriguez went pick 186 last year. He went fifth in the pitcher list mock. His ADP is two. So uh, guess who got good. him at fifth? I got a great deal on Julio Rodriguez. All right. Oh, I would love that at fifth. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and now I, I think, again, I don't think there's a ton to say about these guys. These guys are stars. They're going to continue to be stars. I think the biggest thing I would say to anybody, I'm going to start with this. From a keeper league perspective, and this is part of the reason I think we can sort of skip over these guys, is there's there's no conversation to be had in a keeper league about these guys. <laughs> Whatever the cost is, like, uh, yeah, you're keeping these guys. I, I suppose you can make, like, in a, in a keep three where there's no cost associated with players, you just keep your three best players, Adley might not be one of your three best players. That is, yeah. right, he's, he's going around 70th. It is totally possible you have three other top 70 guys. Fine. Any league where there's any cost associated with your keepers or where you're keeping five plus players, these guys are easy keepers. There's no debate to be had. There's nothing to think about. The only thing I would caution on both of them is other than getting a full season of playing time, which neither of them really did last year, right? Julio was up on opening day, but only ended up playing 132 games due to injury. But other than getting a full season of playing time, I would not make any assumptions that either one of these guys is going to be better than they were. They might be. It is like they are still young. They could still grow. I think, you know, Rodriguez in particular, I could see that K rate coming down and therefore his, his overall line goes up. But like, I, I would be, I'm much more comfortable looking at these guys and saying they are what they are. They're going to be what they are for the next decade, which is awesome. <laughs> but I'm not super ready to assume like, oh, they're, they were just rookies. Just wait, just wait. Cause I don't see other than again, the, the K rate with, Rodriguez, I don't see the obvious path to improvement, but they don't need it to justify these costs. No, they definitely don't. Um, I, I think so. Something you brought up earlier was that when you're talking about Trout and we were talking about Jimenez, is we get this temptation to say that, like, I'll wait, you know, a few years. And sometimes the peak is right now. And I think that's actually very true for fantasy, right? Because this doesn't really apply to Adley, but it definitely does to Julio, where it's the speed component, right? And the speed disappears. Yeah. And that's why I thought Trout was such a great example, because when he was looking like a 40 40 guy, you know, the hit tool was still there. He's still an amazing hitter, but he just stopped stealing bases. So I think for Rodriguez, He's obviously the best player in the Mariners. He's super important to what they do. Philosophically, are they going to keep letting him run? And that can't really impact your fantasy decisions at all, right? Like we, we can't just like, oh, I think Seattle's going to stop having him run so much. So like that, that doesn't add up. But in terms of value, that could certainly impact him, if not this season, then in the near future. I think, like you said, they're both slam dunk keepers unless there's no cost attached in Adley's case. I, I could see Rushman having a better season this year, um, and I'm not even really talking about the sample size, but he just had such a slow start. I mean, Rodriguez did too, but it felt like Adley's went on for a lot longer. So in terms of those, um, you know, rate stats, I, I could see them being a little bit higher uh, in Adley's case. But I, there's not there's not much to say here. They're both superstars, and yeah. I, would, I would take both of them at their ADPs. Yeah. And I, I, by the way, I agree with you. Like, I, I absolutely could see both these guys having better seasons next year. My, my point was not like they can't or they won't or they've definitely sure. had their career years or something like that. It's just that, like, I, I don't just assume that a guy who put up an elite season and these guys put up elite seasons. Don't just assume that that's just the tip of the iceberg because they're young. Right. It's not linear. So, right. Right. Absolutely. So let's let's jump to a different group now. Um, Are you looking at the sheet that I'm looking at, Pete? Yep. Because if OK. Because if not, I was going to have you do a guessing game. But uh, I can. I can. Looking I'll, at I'll, 
I'll stop looking at it now. Okay. So I've now filtered it down to only players whose ADP last year was top 150. Okay. So these are guys yep. who went in the top. They, they were already top 150 picks. So these are the guys. There are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. There are six players who jumped at least in, in a 12 rounder. These guys jumped at least four rounds of value. So this is another case where doesn't matter what your keeper cost is. They are probably worth keeping, even though they were already actually, these guys were all top 120 picks last year. So these guys all in a 12 teamer went in the top 10 rounds and jumped at least four rounds. Okay. There are four pitchers and two, two middle infielders. Feels a little bit of a hint when I'm like, one of them's kind of a middle infielder, but because we've <laughs> talked, we, we've talked about a bit other positions in the past. So uh, any guesses as to guys who were already going in the top 10 rounds and are now going even higher? Well, I, I know I can get two easily. That's McClanahan and Verlander, right? They got to be there. Verlander is not quite jumping enough. So McClanahan is actually, he is the largest jump within the top 150. Okay. So he was going 104 last year. He, in the pitcherless mock, he went 26th. In the ADP, he is 29th. So okay. he is he is jumping 78 picks to where he is in the pitcherless mock and a little bit less than that for ADP. Verlander was going 78th last year. And so there wasn't really a lot of room for him to jump 50 yeah. picks, for him to jump four rounds. So he he is... It is He's got to be close, though. Yes. He jumped 45 picks in the pitcherless okay. mock. From 77th to 33rd. His ADP is 48th, though. So his, from ADP, he's jumping 30 picks, two and a half rounds. Still still good. Still keeper value. But just as an example, in our Keeper Cut listener leagues, which, by the way, a preview, there will be a tweet coming out later this week. We've got some teams available in those leagues for any of our listeners who are interested in joining. But as an example, in one of our leagues, it is a plus two rounds cost. So if you look at Verlander, and he was going 78th last year. 78th last year in a 12-teamer is, was that, an eighth-round pick? Sounds right. No, it's a, it's a seventh-round pick. Lower, it's a seventh lower, round yeah, pick. yeah. Right. Eight, the 84th pick would be the last pick of the seventh round. He is now going as the last pick in the fourth round in a 12-teamer. So your cost to hold him is a fifth-round pick. And your presumed cost to get him, on average, is the end of the fourth round. So if you're picking early fifth round, there is actually not a lot of value in keeping that Verlander if you're paying a plus two round cost. Right. So he's an interesting one. McClanahan, though, definitely one of the guys. The other pitchers, and then we'll go to the position players. Luis Castillo, 126 last year, went 56 in the pitcherless mock. He is 68th in ADP. Carlos Rodon, 96 last year. There were all those concerns about his health last year, if you remember. Yep. Uh, people are over that. 45th in the pitchless mock, 54th in ADP. And to be perfectly honest, I think he's still a steal at those prices. Yeah. Like he is a he he belongs higher than that. There, there is still enough risk built into his price. I really like it. And then Alec Manoa, uh, another guy who there was probably some risk last year just because he was a rookie or coming off his rookie season. He was 92nd last year. He went 42nd in the pitcherless mock. Now, he doesn't quite meet that 50 pick threshold in ADP and ADP, he's only jumped to 63rd, which is a 29 pick jump. So a little bit more like Verlander in that case, where like if you're paying a plus two round cost, he's sort of he's sort of borderline. Um, which by the way, I think sort of a good place to point out that 
guys inside the top 50, when you're paying a plus two round cost or anything like that, it's really hard to justify that cost. And I, I think there, this is a this is at least for especially for me even like a good reminder that your first ten rounds of picks in a league like that are unlikely to be your keepers because it is really hard to jump two rounds of value that way. So just something to to keep in mind, I think with with these guys. Any guesses on the hitters? And I will I will point out one of these two hitters, their jump in ADP does not come close to justifying inclusion on this list. Their jump in the pitcher list mock is what got them on this list. Okay. And well, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to assume one of them is Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah. So Witt is definitely, he's the, the more obvious one. He was already going 72nd last year and his pick in the pitcher list mock was 12th. His ADP is eighth. So this is a guy who um, I'm interested for your take because I have my concerns about Bobby Witt Jr. And most of them revolve around the fact that while he was absolutely terrific for fantasy, thanks in large part to his 30 stolen bases, right? A 20-30 season will go a long way. He was a below league average hitter last year. He had a 99 WRC+. He does not walk. Now, he walked in the minors, and so like there's some reason to think that might improve. But I kind of think you are you need wit to be better next year than he was this year to justify his cost. Not to justify his keeper cost, but to justify his draft cost. And so he is another guy, sort of like we talked about with Grissom, where like I think there's enough risk of him not repeating what he did that I would, and keep in mind, there's going to be a new regime in Kansas City, which means their thoughts on stolen bases might change. Now, he is a very effective base dealer, and in part because he's not actually that great a hitter, or at least hasn't been yet. You know, he could get there, but he wasn't last year. Maybe they don't care as much if he runs a ton, but like, I, I don't know. I, I'm like, I just have, I have some questions and concerns. I worry a little bit about whether or not he can repeat what he did. And I think he has, I don't think what he did last year really justifies this cost. But again, from a keeper perspective, I think he's fine. I just might be shopping him. Yeah. Yeah. That the price is a little too high for me when I feel like I can get just as good results from somebody else going in the same neighborhood, like something more reliable. I really like Bobby Witt Jr. And he feels like one of those players that like it's blasphemy to talk poorly about him. But I mean, you hit it 99 WRC plus the OPS was 722. Now you can look at that one of two ways. You can say, if anything, like, good. I'm glad he did that because I view this guy as a top five pick. And because of that, I'm going to be able to get him late first round, early second. Sure. Or there's the possibility he's just more of a fantasy player than he is an actual hitter. Um, It's a weird profile because with the speed and everything, you would think that as long as he's putting the ball in play, which he is, he's only striking out 21%. If you told me he was going to have a K rate going into last year of just 21%, I would have been drafting him everywhere because I would have assumed he had a monster season and he had a very good season. But the average is still very low because he hits tons of fly balls. Um, And even with that being the case... You know, average exit velocity of 89.7. The barrel rate's fine at 8.7. Those could go up. He's so young. But 
less I see it go up. I don't see how I'm already making him a first round pick. It's it's a it's this weird thing about speed again. And I'm going to say it again. It, it matters for rotisserie. It absolutely does. But in a head to head categories league, I I just can't justify taking Bobby Wood Jr. in the first round. I, I can't do it. And, and so, if he breaks out and I look dumb fair, but I don't I come on. So we've talked about in the past that the player Raiders are you know, they're imperfect without a doubt. But one of their imperfections is that they overvalue stolen bases, right? Given that, where do you think Bobby Witt Jr. ended up last year on either the Rasball or the ESPN player Raider? Um, only 82 runs, 80 RBI, 20 homers and a 250 average. It's probably not as high as I would expect. So I'm going to say top 30. That that's a a pretty good guess. He is twenty sixth on both okay. both of them. I just my take, and this goes back to what we were saying about about J Rod and about Adley and about all these other guys that like you can't assume linear you know development. You are when you are paying a first round price for Bobby Witt Jr. You are assuming he will be significantly better next year than he was this year, and I, I don't think that's a good assumption. Like his ADP in NFBC is what did I say it was eighth? Yes, yeah, he has the eighth eighth best ADP. That is ten to fifteen picks too high, in my opinion. And I'm I'm just happily going to wait. Now, the upside is there, without a doubt. He could put up a a first round season, right? Because he's shown better power in the minors. Now he's also shown worse strikeout rates in the minors, like. There, there is, I can look at his minor league numbers and his major league numbers and I can con- concoct different stories, right? One story is he's always walked at a much higher rate than he did. He's, his play discipline's only going to improve. And with it, the power, which he's usually put up close to 20% home run for fly ball rates. He did in 2021, 2022, it was down under 10%. Like I can see a case for a 30-30 season with a 280 average instead of the 254. I, I can I can concoct that story. The other story I can tell is that low home run per fly ball rate is fully supported by his stat cast data. He doesn't hit the ball that hard. Right. And he, like his ex-WOBA and his WOBA basically matches here. 311 WOBA, 313 ex-WOBA. His ex-slugging was 427. His slugging was 428. Like when he puts the ball in play, that's who he is. And he was striking out at a lower rate in the majors than he didn't double a or triple a last year. And I'm not sure I buy that that's going to sustain. Now, maybe it's improvement. It could be right. And and so my, my point just is, I think you could see this going either way with him. And when you're dra- when you're paying a first round price for him, you're not baking that in. You're just paying for the upside. And so again, if I drafted him last year in, you know, the sixth ish round where he was going, he's a keeper. He is for sure a keeper because if he repeats what he just did, even if he falls back a little bit, he's probably a second or third round pick. And even if I'm paying a fourth rounder to keep him, it's worth it, especially knowing that there's no way I could get him because he's being drafted so early. If I don't have him and I have to trade him for a first round pick, if somebody's willing to trade me a first round pick for him, I will take that in a heartbeat. Like it's an easy choice for me. I will gladly... I mean, I'm just looking at, let's look at uh, 
overall ADP so far at NFBC. And here are guys going after Bobby Witt Jr. Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Corbin Burns, Freddie Freeman, Bo Bichette, Garrett Cole, Manny Machado, Rafael Devers, and Austin Riley. They round out the last, the, the rest of the top 20 after Witt is going eighth. There are a number of guys in that list that I would gladly trade Witt for. Oh, for sure. So and, uh, it's look, I, I, we, it's splitting hairs at this point. And I think it's worth pointing out that both Chad and I still like Bobby Witt Jr. Like saying, yeah. I'm not going to take him at the end of the first. I'd rather take him at the end of the second is not really some crazy indictment on a player. I just I, what it what could possibly be the rationale outside of third base eligibility, which I'm not ignoring. That's important for taking Bobby Witt Jr. over Mookie Betts in what planet? It, it, does that make Especially, sense? Betts has second base in a number of formats. So <laughs> sure. it's like, right. yeah. Anyways, that's that. Uh, the one other guy on this list we'll, we'll talk about very, very quickly. Actually, I, we're not even going to talk about him. I'm just going to mention him. But he went 67th in the pitcher list mock. His ADP is 120 last year, which means he's a 53 pick rise. That's Willie Adamas. His ADP is 101. <laughs> uh, so that, that pitcher list pick Your of him boy. at 67th is an outlier. <laughs> Y'all know how I feel about Willie Adamas. Interestingly, I'm not sure, like looking at a 12 teamer, he, he would have been the last pick of the 10th round last year. If I took him in the 10th last year and he's going to cost me basically an eighth, he'd be an eighth by ADP this year. I'm not sure if I want to give up like a ninth or a 10th round pick to keep him. It's, it's borderline for me. I love Adamus. I'm, I'm like that ADP of 101. I'm happy to take him again, but there's a good there's a good case to be made that I will be better off keeping somebody else, even if it means I have to reach for Adamus in the draft. So that's my that's my take on him. He's still I'm with good. you on that. I still love Willie. <laughs> Me too. So we've we have just about hit the hour mark, and that's about all the time we got today. So we will probably come back to this topic because there's a number of other keepers we could talk about, but this was sort of a I think a good breakdown of some of the most interesting risers in terms of draft value and therefore some of the best keeper values that are out there. As a reminder, you can follow the show at keep or cut as long as Twitter still exists. You can follow Pete at Pete B baseball. You can follow me at Chad young. None of us are verified. So you don't have to worry about that. You can also subscribe to the show, leave us ratings and reviews, hit us up with questions on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. Um, happy to know what you want to hear, what we can answer for you. And with that, have a good couple of weeks. We'll be back with you in right before Thanksgiving. Back with you right before Thanksgiving. Have a good one.